Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the ACLU of Utah. We are participating in the Women's March because as an organization, we have a lengthy history of defending reproductive freedoms throughout the United States. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. Bristol-born, Nashville-based, that's Yola, and Barely Alive on KRCL 90.9 FM, starting off radioactive tonight. And eBay Hamilton just checking out there with another afternoon drive. If you missed a song wondering what that was, we'll go to krcl.org and check out the playlist we have there on the website. If you like the sound of Yola, well, look for her on the big screen next year. She'll be playing Sister Rosetta Tharp in the Elvis biopic from Baz Luhrmann, He's the guy that did Moulin Rouge and Strictly Ballroom. I'm excited to see that for sure in June next year. I'm Laura Jones. This is Radioactive. And tonight I'm turning the show over to Dr. David Derizotis, our friend from the Radical Middle and director of the Peace and Conflict Studies program in the College of Humanities at the University of Utah. Hi, Dr. Dave. How you doing? Hey, Laura. You know, it's always dangerous to turn the show over to me. I, I hope you're not... <laughs> I hope you're not sorry at the end of this. I am always pleased with what you bring to our community through Radioactive, Dr. Dave. And you and I were talking about what to dig into, and we kind of settled on this notion of anger and resentment going on in our community, whether it's here in Salt Lake City or across America. Yes. um, You know, we both read that book by uh, Mishra, Age of Anger. It certainly influenced me that a scholar from another country, in this case, India, noticed the same thing in the world that, you know, it seems to be around us here in Utah and in the United States. And that is so many folks having anger and holding onto it chronically and what he calls resentment, you know, usually finding someone to blame and, and to resent because they seem to have more power, more privilege, uh, and they seem to be causing me um, extra suffering. I use the word see because we know that that's not always true. So there's something going on, don't you think, Laura? Yeah, and it seems most visible in our politics right now and that we feel free to let her rip, whether that's in person at protests or rallies, January 6th, or online and our social media selves, which I think are really different from our in real life selves. Yeah, I I agree. So I'm I'm pleased that... um, you know, we could have this program with uh, Dr. Amanda Beirush and Dr. David Parker, two of my favorite people who, you know, have um, been involved in working with people who are angry and studying them. And, um, Dr. Parker also in working with folks directly, you know, in difficult conversations around issues, particularly on racism and anti-racism. So coming up, you're going to be talking with Dr. Parker and Dr. Barouche, really trying to get into what is going on with our anger and resentment. They share quite personal stories as well as professional observations. And I was hoping that you could pick a song to get us into that conversation. Well, you know, one of my musical heroes is Stevie Wonder. And he has this song a long time ago he did with the Jackson 5 in the background called You Haven't Done Nothing. 
And, um, you know, he's talking about, uh, it reminds me of that uh, activist. I'm, I'm trying to remember her name, the young woman from um, Sweden or Finland who- oh, Greta know, was, Thunberg. Uh, yeah, Greta. Greta. Remember Greta said, blah, blah, blah. That's all the adults do. And, uh, you know, and Stevie's saying essentially the same thing. I hear all this talk about, you know, uh, uh, wanting to deal with, with racism, but it continues on and on. And so that's what the song's about. Little Stevie Wonder with Jackson 5, courtesy of Dr. Dave on KRCL 90.9. Food security means that you know where your next meal is coming from. The Utah Food Bank helps hundreds of thousands of Utahns plan their next meal. To learn more about hosting a food drive virtually or at your office, visit utahfoodbank.org. Why KRCL? Because our mission is to keep the community connected. 75,000 weekly listeners would agree. Introduce your business to this local, loyal audience with a tax-deductible challenge grant during Radiothon. On-air messaging, social media, and more. Email Trina B at krcl.org. Hey, welcome everyone to The Radical Middle and Dr. Dave on assignment. Thanks to Laura Jones. And tonight we're going to be looking at anger and resentment. Uh, so today we're super happy to have two guests, um, both of whom I can say are colleagues and friends of mine. Uh, and um, we'll start with uh, Dr. Amanda Berouche, who um, uh, I worked with, didn't we, Amanda? We worked at the College of Social Work, University of Utah for bazillions of years. And it seems like it's bazillions of years ago now, doesn't it? It kind of does, to tell you the truth. For me, it's only been two. But, yeah. two, bazil- two bazillion years? Two years. Oh, two years. <laughs> Since I've left the university, officially. So, so, Amanda, just in terms of introducing yourself, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself Um and what you are doing professionally these days. And uh, we understand you're working on a book. Yes, yes. I'm under contract with Oxford University Press for a book called Aging Angry. And it looks at the anger that seems to be so pervasive these days through the lens of age. Um, It's very exciting. I'm enjoying that very much. And that is mostly what I'm doing professionally. I'm teaching writing at the U, a couple of classes. And uh, yeah, that, oh, you know, rabble rousing here and there. Well, we figured that. And, and, you know, our listeners probably don't know that aging was one of your um, focus, foci, I guess I should say, as an academic in your career, right? Oh, yeah ever since 1979, um, back when it didn't actually have much personal relevance. I've studied age and the experiences of older adults. Yeah. yeah. Funny, how, funny how aging suddenly does become relevant if you live long enough. Yeah, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> to all of us. Yes. So thank you, Dr. Berush. And then we have Dr. David Parker. Um, and uh, Dr. Parker, um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing professionally uh, these days and um, uh, your interest uh, perhaps in uh, aging and if you have any interest in aging and in anger? Um, 
Thank you. Good morning, Dr. Dave, and good morning, Dr. Barush. And I'm excited to be here. And um, your book sounds amazing that you're working on. I, I can't wait to, to, re to read it. So, um, um, and I'm going to ask for an autographed copy also. And, um, but um, Dr. Dave, I believe that I have probably one of the greatest jobs that some jobs that someone can have. I get to work and do things that are directly connected to my to my passion and, and research interests. Um, I teach a couple of classes at the U. Um, one, I'm happy to say with you, that class, the class in dialogue, inclusive dialogue, um, and which is interesting that we're talking about anger today because dialogue is such a wonderful way to deal with anger and um, and resentment because we can talk we can talk with people and get a better understanding with the hope of reducing the anger that that people have. The other part of my professional life, I I consult with businesses and school districts and um, police um, police officers on the culture of their business and how um, the culture of belonging impacts the work that they do. So um, I, I get to do all kinds of things that I enjoy and love. It's hard work, but I love it. And why am I interested in anger? Um, anger impacts the culture of our workplaces. Anger causes us to act in a way that might be different from how we see ourselves. And therefore, if it impacts the culture, then also impacts the climate, which is the behavior within the, um, the workplace. So anger is um, of great importance to me. And aging, I'm just going to avoid that because I'm becoming more and more um, aware of my aging. So um, I'm not going to talk about it at all. I'll let Dr. Barouche do that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so let's go back to Dr. Barouche. Thank you, Dr. Parker. So um, Dr. Barouche, could you talk a little bit about why this topic of anger came up on your radar screen. And yeah. um, you know, when you and I talked about this, oh, it was several months ago, I, I knew you were looking at men, but you may be also looking at women. Now, maybe you could talk to us about that as well as, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what evidence do you see around uh, us uh, that points to anger and possibly resentment being issues? Oh, sure, um, gosh. Two questions. One was why um, I never was especially interested in anger until I had a personal experience that led me to feel it in a big way. And that personal experience um, was related to my departure from the university. I, I felt pushed out and um, I went through about a year when I was really struggling with anger. And I was going to go out and write a book on aging well. I mean, that's what you do when you retire. <laughs> uh, but, but I realized one day that, you know, I thought, about, you know, I'm not aging well. I'm aging angry. And I, I decided that, you know, what academics do. I better just go find out how other people were doing it. Um, so, so, yeah. So, and then you ask about the gender question, um, which is, yeah. has been fascinating for me. Um, because this is, as part of the reading that I've been doing for this book, the thing I've learned is that, well, in the research, I've interviewed about 35 people now, 
and done an internet survey with 250 people. And the conclusion I've reached is that, <coughs> excuse me, men and women experience anger pretty much the same way. We get mad about as frequently and we get mad about as intensely as each other, but how we express it is radically different. And um, I've traced that back. I found a scholar named Ari Mervelstein, who just recently published a book on uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he looked at prohibitions around anger in that ancient Jewish community. And what he concluded, it was quite clear, is that only men and only men of high status were permitted to express their anger. And even then they were regulated. But, I, but an interesting aspect was that they were the only ones who could have righteous anger. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that has just pervaded through our Western society such that when women experience anger, they immediately conclude it's not righteous, something's wrong with them. Um, whereas, whereas men, particularly men of high status, there's issues around class, race, and other, and other ways, because anger becomes a tool of oppression um, under this model. People are pushing back. Um, dozens of books are being written about women's anger, um, but still that norm is, is pervasive. More than yeah, that makes, a, makes, yeah. a lot of, makes a lot of sense to me what you're saying. And um, you know, it strikes me, I wonder if you agree that, because um, you and I both uh, immigrated here from California to teach that in Utah, it may be particularly true that uh, men of high status um, get to have righteous anger, um, particularly if they're, you know, um, can, can we also say if, if, if they identify as white or seen as white, they probably have more status or, you know, belong to the mainstream culture. Have you found that to be true? I feel that to be true. Um, yeah. I, I feel things are, move, I moved to Utah in 1985 and I, the mode of expression that was expected of me um, was quite different from what I'd experienced in California. And uh, I was at times uh, punished, sanctioned for being too direct. Yeah, and you know, um, our listeners don't know that you and I both came from UC Berkeley, um, but I think even at UC Berkeley, I'm curious if you disagree, but there were high status males who seemed to have, uh, yeah. uh, you know, some kind of permission to be to be angry and often took uh, advantage of that. To misbehave. Yeah, and misbehave. Absolutely. So, yeah, so perhaps it is really pervasive in Western culture. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. think it. I think it's quite pervasive, and we're pushing back. And I think that's kind of the project here. And, yeah. And in yeah. my book, that's part of the argument is that um, yeah. when someone delegitimizes your anger, they're taking a, a yeah. stance above you, and we yeah. need to recognize that and not absorb it. Yeah, I I agree, and I I want to before we're done today with this interview, find out if your personal anger has shifted in your journey in writing and studying. But let's go back to Dr. Parker and kind of ask you, Dr. Parker, the same question, you know, about, um, and we're kind of have a couple questions, I guess, right now. One is on 
gender differences, you know, and um, you identify as both a male and as a man of color, African-American. So not all of our listeners know that. So that may have a part in your perspective on gender and, um, you know, multiple ident identities. Um, and also, how have you uh, come to this interest in anger sort of in your own personal journey? I'm going to go with the, se the second question first. The, um, the interest of anger in my personal journey is in workshops that I do and classes that I teach and touring the, the state and talking with um, people in different parts of the state about their work, their expectations, um, their interactions with other um, people, I find that the anger that people have in regard to feeling that they're losing something to a group of minorities, um, be it real or imagined, they treat it as real as if they're actually losing something and they're very angry at that. And their anger becomes, I thought it was rather interesting when Dr. Baruch commented about righteous anger because their anger becomes justified and righteous because they'll say, I worked very hard for what I have, and now so-and-so, in other words, that go with so-and-so, is taking that away from me um, as if they are being um, something's being stolen from them. Um, so it changes how they give service to people if they're in a service industry. It changes how they interact with people in hospitals. It changes how um, they approach people in mental health situations. Even though people often say, my personal feelings do not interfere with my work, that's, uh, that's poppycock. That's not a scholarly word, but that's the best way to put it. Um, the anger does impact the work, the work that I do. Um, the work that they do. Um, so yes, um, but how does it impact um, my life? I've learned, and again, listening to Dr. Baruch talk about the different levels of how people can express anger, I have learned as an African-American male that if I express public anger, it's responded to very differently than when my white colleagues express anger. And at the same time, there are emotions that I can show that are not angry. They're passionate, they're fear, um, they're just downright sometimes excitement. And other people will interpret that as anger and tell me how I'm feeling. And um, that's extremely... <laughs> anger producing, and to, yeah. to say the least, that, that people will, will, will speak for me and tell me that I do not know basically how I'm feeling, and they can better tell my intent of my feelings than, than I can. Um, but I find that to be the case, um, not just with this African-American here, but African-Americans anywhere, in, be it in, a, in the listening audience or people that I have never, ever met before. Um, anger, emotions have to be controlled in, um, in mixed settings. 
or it's interpreted a different way and and I become a threat to people. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating. And you and I have talked about this. Yes, we have. As you know, uh, more than once, right? Yes, yes. And we've, we've kind of decided sometimes in, when we're collaborating, um, which one of us should uh, speak out you know, yes. to rich people. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I find uh, it, I find this, I didn't mean to step on you there, but I find it so interesting in the work that we do when we're working with a group of people and they don't know either of us before we start, but you could express your frustration and they'll accept it. And if I express the same frustration, they become nervous. And it's, it's yeah. to say it's comical is, I don't want to make, it, make light of it, but um, it gets yeah. to a point that it's, it's like a very bad movie. Yeah. And when you said that uh, Dr. Bayrouche was nodding, so yes. I'm imagining that, that uh, Amanda, you have that same experience, but uh, more uh, probably uh, from your perspective as a, as a female. Is that right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Watching men express their frustration and um, be heard. I think that I think the barriers between being heard that are that make it, that complicate people. Yeah, just accepting yeah. the message. This is Dr. Dave. You're listening to a panel on anger and resentment in society. My guests tonight are Dr. Amanda Birush, author of the forthcoming book "Aging Angry." and Dr. David Parker, who's an educator and transformational culture consultant. What does it do to people? I guess this is a question for either or both of you. What does it do to us if we have to suppress anger? It seems like anger is such a powerful emotion and it can be tapped for good, right? But having to suppress it for years and years, even around people that you know supposedly are highly educated and you know more progressive um, has got to do something to us, what what is what what has been the price of having to suppress, suppress, be careful, walk on eggshells all the time for either of you? There's a physical toll that that happens. Um, the number of times I've been told that um, if I would just let out my feelings, my blood pressure would go down tremendously. Oh. You know, um, I would. There's just a physical. Meant a medical toll that it takes on one, the emotional toll that it takes, which there's research to support that. So I'm not just talking about David Parker, I'm talking about people in general suppressing that anger. But there's also an enormous amount of resentment that, that bubbles up inside um, and having to suppress anger so people don't take it a different way and people don't and people don't make you into a threat to themselves or society um, because i might be angry about something so even sitting at a meeting i listen to people um, i'm on the board for juvenile justice for the state and there are times that i hear stories about young people being abused physically, emotionally, sexually, that upsets me as it does many, many people listening. And sometimes my reaction is passionate. It's not 
I'm not angry at it because it, it's just like, there's no one to be angry at, but I'm just upset for those young people. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to do something illogical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Baruch, what were you going to say before I cut you off? Oh, I was going <laughs> to say the, um, the rise in violence in our society. Um, I recently read that the murder rate in 2020 increased yeah. historically in the United States. And that makes people equate anger with aggression. That's what your comment made me think of, is people are afraid um, because we live in such a violent setting and, um, and, and maybe they have some history with um, anger that, that has hurt them. Um, but, but that I think is a real problem for, for many of us um, in expressing anger we're, because people, when they're afraid are, I think, more dangerous than when they're angry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so I'm resonating with, with what you said about people getting nervous. People used to think that women's anger was dangerous. Um, People used to think it was more dangerous, actually, than, than yes. men, because it was more chaotic. In ancient times, this was a belief. And I, I kind of checked that out in my internet survey, and my respondents seemed not to think women's anger is quite so dangerous. Of course, women are less likely to commit aggressive acts, um, and we know that now. But women have other ways. Yeah. So, uh, Amanda, were you going to say something about um, the price that you notice you pay or others pay for uh, having to be overly careful oh, about yeah there. yeah thanks that's yeah that's a big topic that i addressed in my book um yeah. especially with older adults because people tend to think that older adults don't get angry and as we age there is even more pressure not to express anger we're supposed to be the model you know the kindly one in the wheelchair in the kind of rolling along pleasantly um, so when old people get angry, it's readily dismissed. And I, I searched the research literature, as is my habit, and I found a really mixed bag. Um, there are studies that suggest, about half of them, that internalized anger is actually more dangerous than expressed anger. And then there are studies that suggest it's similar to expressed anger or even less. So there's in the research, it's really hard to tell, but many people I work with and talk to believe that internalized anger is, is bad for your health. It's bad yeah. for, yeah, um, that it builds up. And this is part of a metaphor. That's why I wanted to move to a little bit to the anger metaphors because there is a cross-cultural metaphor of anger as a hot liquid, um, and then of the human being as a container that can only take so much until it has to bubble out or explode. Um, so that's a widespread view of anger. And I think it reflects a, a cross-cultural understanding that internalized anger can hurt you inside. Yeah. yeah. A long time ago, I, I used to work at a center that worked with families where there had been domestic violence or child maltreatment in San Diego. And we, one of the metaphors we used, Amanda, was the Mount St. Helens, you know, where the lava builds up okay. and it's, yeah, you know, yeah. But, the, but there were also other forms, you know, of, 
uh, or other metaphors, as you know, you know, like we used to say, some people were sick but slick, you know, and <laughs> they would, they, their anger would come out sort of passive aggressively, which I, I think you and I often saw on campus, you know, that, you know, people might smile at you and then the minute you walk out of the room, Gah! right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and so that leads me to my next question, which is if I was observing Earth from outer space from some other planet, I'd be confused by this conversation because on the one hand, you're both saying how so many folks suppress except for perhaps the people with the most power and privilege. And yet the murder rate is up. You know, we've got political polarization. We've got a lack of civility. People believe in these you know, what seems to be often really out there conspiracy theories to, um, you know, and uh, so many folks complain on, on both sides of the political spectrum about the lack of civility, right? So how can both be true at the same time, you know, <laughs> that we are suppressing our anger and yet we're, and then we lead in mass murder in the world by far, you know, United States. So there's, all, and, and, you know, we certainly spend a few dollars in our country on preparations for war. I was just reading this article about distant warfare. And, you know, even though we moved out of Afghanistan, now we've got drones that um, can go anywhere. Like if I'm waiting for one to be outside my window if the government's upset with me, right? Hmm. So, and, you know, and psychologists have talked about this tension, but what do you both think about that? How can we, how can both be true or are they related, right? The suppression of anger and this, you know, this, this overt rage we see in so many people that you both have been kind of talking about. I think it's both and to tell you the truth. And I think, it, I mean, we have to look at the population as a whole. We're not just one entity. I think some of us are expressing rage through violence and others of us look at that and feel afraid and suppress it in ourselves. Um, so I think you can have both. That's my maybe pat answer. Um, but at the same time, one of your questions, that, that kind of reminds me of your question about um, why now? Um, and I think that's, that's kind of interesting is why so many people are exploding with rage now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was really an intriguing thing. Um, actually, what I come to on that is we're facing as a species, having said we're not one, we are one species, and we're facing two massive existential threats. And we know it, you know. I mean, in the past, human beings might have faced similar plagues and um, certainly not global warming, but similar threats. But they might not have had the awareness that we have that, that we are seriously in jeopardy. And there are just so many of us and the frontiers closed. So speaking of containers, um, I think that contributes along with, of course, social media um, and, and, and the news media, which, which just sort of stir things up. Because um, I think, yeah, yeah so, so all of that's together creating this pot that we're in. Yeah, sort of a perfect storm for rage. Is that what you think, Dr. Parker? Yes, in a lot of ways, yes, I, I, um, I do think that and agree wholeheartedly. Um, I also think that people are being given permission um, explicitly or implicitly 
to act upon their anger um, in a negative way as opposed to doing it in a, in a civil way. Um, I used to work with um, emotionally disturbed adolescent boys. And for those of you that are listening and you're, trying, trying, and you're trying to figure out what does he mean, boys that would throw a chair out the window because someone looked at them in a way that they thought was disrespectful. Um, so these explosive young men would go into a class and they're contained in their class because of the respect for one another and the respect for the teacher that they develop a relationship with. When a new student would come in, and this new student would this new student would be disruptive from their with their behavior as they as they're testing the waters in the class, the other students begin acting out also, because they see it as if so and so is doing it, then why can't I? And we have some um, negative role models, negative large role models right now that are behaving badly and giving people the permission to act up in the classroom. And until you contain that negative, um, that negative um, person there, um, yeah. it's they, that, that behavior just continues to grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's some of what's happening now also. I, th I think you're right, David, and you know, it it does seem to be true. Tell me if you disagree that these folks that are giving permission are often uh, uh, white men who have a lot of privilege and power who seem to be able to avoid any responsibility for setting up other folks to act out. So, it, but they <laughs> yes. gain, but they gain in power and even wealth uh, yes. from from doing that. You know, yes. we used to we used to call that a setup when I was a kid. <laughs> you know that. Um, uh, and it seems that the rest of us often don't know what, how to handle that or what to do. Or when, when folks call that out, uh, nothing happens. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, what's, up, what's up with that? Like, it, um, I've read some people, you know, some psychologists who say that, you know, there's this, maybe it's because of what Amanda is saying, that we're in this multiple threat, you know, era. Maybe uh, it, when there's a lot of stress uh, on us, that we seek these father figures that will, you know, or or maybe and I've seen some other people hypothesize that we seek leaders who are going to want, you know, want to pound on folks, you know, and because you know that sort of reduces my anxiety to find someone I can blame. You yes. Know? So maybe we can move to this topic of resentment, you know, like like um, like what is the difference? or maybe there isn't a lot, when does anger turn into resentment? And, um, and why is that perhaps even more dangerous? Um, someone want to start on that one? Sometimes I believe that anger is a byproduct of resentment. Um, and sometimes it feels as if the resentment is because of the anger. But um, the anger isn't always factually based. Um, anger sometimes is based on stereotypes and implicit feelings that someone has that gets re reinforced again and again, or they look and they they look into their immediate or extended culture and they have things that confirm their anger. 
um, which then leads to resentment of that person, that group, that entity, etc. The resentment sometimes could be about something that's imagined um, in the sense of, and I don't want to make this into a political conversation, but the number of times people will tell me it's their constitutional right to say words that are offensive to someone else. Um, There really is nothing in the constitution that says it's okay for you to belittle your next door neighbor. Um, Freedom of speech does not really mean you can insult every person all the time, or you can turn your music up loud at three o'clock in the morning because you don't like the color of skin of your neighbors across the street. That is, um, that's an anger that is different. It's an anger that's um, scary, even, even more scary than the adolescence I was talking about in the classroom, because that anger leads to some type of physical altercation. Um, either it's um, a reaction from the person that's angry or a defense mechanism from the person that's the recipient of that anger that could be brought on by stereotypes. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think you're right, David. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind in listening to you is how often we all know this, that leaders in different countries or communities have used fear of some enemy you know, to get power and to hold on to it. That it almost always works. You know, let's yes. all, <laughs> these people are going to hurt us, so we better get them. And, you know, mm-hmm. and we should all, uh, and you all should, you know, align around me because I'm the one who can mm-hmm. save us from that threat. And, and it's not that there aren't sometimes threats yes. to communities, but it, it seems like that's one of the oldest tricks in the book to get political power. Amanda, I can tell you have some, thoughts about all this even oh nodding. gosh i was thinking about resentment as um it's something that recurs i mean when you look at the word um ressentiment, ressentiment it's it's a sen- sent sentiment that comes back over and over and and i think your your idea that it's more dangerous um links to that that um it's a sense of having been misused or being maltreated or treated unfairly that when it's repeated over and over generates resentment. And it doesn't, who knows whether it's practical or or objectively true. Um, I did, um, I interviewed several people who identify as men's rights activists and their deep resentment against the feminist movement often had its origins in a, a terrible experience with a particular woman. Yeah. Um, that, that there was this big experience and then over and over and over they felt treated unfairly, um, either by the um, yeah. arguments of feminism or by specific women. And that built into a deep-seated resentment um, for women in general. But I'd have to say, I was afraid about, I was afraid to speak to these men, but I found them utterly charming. It was like, they resent women as a whole quite deeply and intellectually, but, but we 
connected and we're able to understand each other and actually like each other. Um, so, so that's the weird thing. Resentment, it's kind of, it has a generic sense to it, but they can set it aside when it comes to an individual. You're the exception. Yes. I'm wondering, <laughs> since David, since you, that's where I was going with your, when you were talking about stereotypes, I thought, oh yeah, that, that resonates from, with that experience of mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so maybe that's the difference between resentment and anger, at least for me, is, is resentment's generalized and it, it, it causes misbehavior, sometimes serious misbehavior. Yes. Um, but, but anger, I think, is more focused. And I, and I agree with what you're saying in regard to resentment. Resentment, um, when I think about it even more, is a reaction to or feeling um, about um, being disrespected over and over again, or not heard um, over and over again. There's a dear friend of mine that works in a um, physical um, domestic violence center. And she has this saying that so-and-so has me on my last nerve, you know, and that's usually a signal to me that um, I've listened to people be disrespectful to the victim in this situation so many times and not show any compassion that um, she's about to lose it. Um, and resentment does that. Um, being disrespected time after time after time, the number of times that people, that I hear people say, you know, well, if you just, you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, well, if they, if they remove the boots so you don't even have boots to pull straps on because the system has skewed things in such a way that you don't even have boots, there's nothing to pull up. Um, and the number of times that people, that, that people have said to me, well, the reason why I don't like African-Americans is because when I was in second grade, you know, little Tyrone took my pretzels and ever since then, I haven't liked African-Americans. I'm sorry. You know, that doesn't make any logical sense to me because I'll then wind up asking them, did you ever go out with somebody that you really, really liked? And then they broke your heart. You know, yes, I have. You know, well, you haven't, you didn't then write off that whole gender. So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. And um, so it can't just be from, I, I believe, from one single solitary act to justify someone's resentment really good you know as you say that i was thinking about older adults and for me that's been a that because i've been i was a, a i thought of a highly privileged adult and it wasn't until i hit old age that i started experiencing microaggressions from strangers yeah. and others i hate to use the word but but that's yeah. what it is when right. somebody just slightly abuses you and you experience that over and over and over again. And yeah, that yeah. generates a certain resentment. Uh, yeah. But also, I think you're right, the stereotyping, you, you, you kind of attach, you attach a type to your resentment yeah. Yeah. Um, because it fits uh, your stereotype. So yeah. like I might say, you yeah. know, young rappers always treat me badly, um, which, is, which is sort of the age version of, of what you're describing, but yes. we do, but we do it to all kinds of different mm -hmm. identities. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
This is Dr. Dave. You're listening to a panel on anger and resentment in society. My guests tonight are Dr. Amanda Berouche, author of the forthcoming book, Aging Angry, and Dr. David Parker, who's an educator and transformational culture consultant. So, so we've only got a few minutes left, and I kind of want to give you a wrap-up question to both of you, uh, but just want to comment on this conversation about anger and resentment that you know, it sounds from what you're both saying that you believe that there's some kind of payoff or, uh, you know, uh, psychological advantage in in, in us humans to kind of hold on to a resentment, especially to a particular group. One of the things that interrupts that is kindness, kind of thinking about Amanda's story and, you know, uh, David, you and I do these dialogues in class and in the community and, you know, Oftentimes you hear from folks, you know, I'm not going to be nice to those people. They don't just, you know, but actually, like Martin Luther King said, you know, kindness is the only attitude that can maybe change the hearts of your enemies, whether they like it or not. I've always liked that one, you know. Um, But can you both talk a little bit before we close? And we want to hear a reminder about your book again for those that want to buy it. I I do want to cut, you know, uh, you know, from the profits for, for plugging your book again, Amanda, but you know, but maybe from both of you, like, like um, in your own processes, as we're all aging, as you're aging, um, what have you learned about anger that you might want to share with our audience? Have, has it mellowed? Have, have you got a, a key insight or secret or <laughs> suggestion to younger folks? Because, you know, if we got to get old, at least we can be crones, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. We can embrace that I, the I aspect of our identity. Well, you know what I'm thinking is you. I one of the key insights I got from anger came from Warren Farrell, um, who who I interviewed for my book. He's a he's a one of the leaders of the men's rights movement, as I think of it. And um, he said, I I've always struggled with men's anger. I've always been like many people afraid of men's anger. And um, it's been a big personal issue for me. And Warren said, you, when you see a man who's angry, you see a man who's vulnerable. And look, what you need to do is ignore the anger, focus on the vulnerability. And I thought that was, I mean, for me, that clicked. It's a deep insight. And I think it applies to anyone who's angry. Of course, somebody with a gun, it's a little harder to ignore the anger. But, um, but if we can see past the anger to the vulnerability, it helps to be kind and to be calm in our response. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot, Amanda. And then give us the name of your book again. And when is when it's coming out? Oh, my book is coming out next year. And it's called Aging Angry. Right now, the subtitle is From Rage to Resistance, because the the closing focus is on activism. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And then uh, Dr. Parker, kind of closing comments about a key insight uh, or suggestions, especially us youngins out there, because I'm much younger than you are. What What can you older folks teach us about anger? What have you learned? Well, in regard to anger, um, the thing, one of the things that I find about it is that it spreads so easily. And um, when I heard the term eons ago, that water seeks the path of least resistance, 
That's what I think about anger. It seeks the path of least resistance to spread from person to person and to justify itself um, and excuse itself, kind of like the way a wildfire um, is going, the wildfires are going through California and it jumps from tree to tree or jumps, jumps roads. And um, if we don't do something before the fire, or we don't do something before the water starts rolling, it's going to overtake us. And, um, and I mean us as an individual, us as a city, a state, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I do believe that, um, that we can do the work that's necessary to contain anger, not suppress it, but to be able to talk about it, be able to interact with anger and make it part of our day and part of our life in a positive way, not a destructive way. Does that mean, David, that you experiment with um, expressing your anger a little bit more these days? Or have you just, you know, um, have you noticed uh, there's certain skills that make that easier? What would you say in closing about that? Um, I practice my anger at home. Um, uh -huh. I, don't I don't practice expressing it too much outside because I'm yeah. still not comfortable enough for people yeah. to take it the way I mean it. Yeah, yeah, which kind of goes back to um, Amanda's insight into you know vulnerability. And yes, yes. I just want to thank you both so much for I, this. Was a great conversation. I really this enjoyed was, it, and it this felt was wonderful. Very, felt very fun and collegial. I hope you had a good time too, and I hope yes. our listeners gained some insights. Of, Dr. Amanda Berush and Dr. David Parker, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that is The Radical Middle with Dr. David Derizotis. Check tonight's show notes for a link to Dr. Dave and his panelists. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up next, Democracy Now! at 7. Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike at 8. The Dirty Boulevard with Gianni at 10.30. Rich Parks checks in at 1 with I Don't Sound Like Nobody and get your illustrated blues at 3 a.m. Our full lineup online at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for listening to Radioactive. Let's go out with some Indigo Girls, Peace Tonight, on KRCL 90.9.